Welcome everyone and thank you for joining us here on The Rescue, where you will hear Brother Dewey Dwyer preaching in the Word of God concerning the last days and events that are in our world today, leading to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Most importantly, that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And now, here is your speaker, Brother Dewey Dwyer. Hi there, I'm Dewey Dwyer. I want to tell you about what the danger is, lost man, of you not being saved. See, in the past hundreds and thousands of years, people, of course, they didn't know when they was going to die, but they had more chances to be saved. Why? Because there was more time. The problem is now that time is running out for you to be saved, lost man. And time is so precious. And people are, who ignore the word of God and listen to the satanic things of the world will burn in a lake of fire forever and ever. If you'll just listen for this 30-minute program and you will believe what I tell you and I'm going to tell you the words of God, if you will believe that and you will call upon the name of the Lord God promised you in John 6:37, him that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. I'm going to try to preach slower. I get complaints that I talk too fast. But I get so excited. I want so much information to get out to you that maybe you'll catch just one or two words and believe the word of God. But God reveals over in, in Isaiah, the first chapter, he said, come let us reason together. Now, God's not an unmerciful God. He's very merciful. He wants everyone to go to heaven. He said, it's not my will that any should perish, but that all to come, would come to repentance. Jesus pointed that out, that it's not his will over in 1st, 2nd Corinthians 6, 2. He said, now's the accepted time. Now, right now, is your day. One sermon is all God owes you. One word of God telling you how to be saved, and you'll get that today. You refuse it, you may never, ever listen to a word of God again. God may turn you over to reprobate mind, and that's it. You'll never understand the word of God. And if the Lord Jesus Christ comes and calls every born-again Christian off this earth, and you've heard the word of God, and you refuse it, you're going to believe a lie. You're going to believe a man who pretends to be Christ. And we've also got a lot of antichrists that are bombarding your television sets and your newspapers today, right now, that are telling you lies and deceit and are treacherous people who are trying to steal your soul. But if you'll just listen to God's Word, and God's Word was what Paul, Paul tried to tell you over in Thessalonians that there's a lot of false prophets coming. He said, be not deceived. But God said over to Isaiah, come let us reason together. Let's reason about this thing. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow if you turn to him. But if you rebel, then you'll have to pay the price in the lake of fire because there's no other way to heaven except through the Lord Jesus Christ. But let's just reason with what's happening to your world today and what God's word said. And God said also and over in Isaiah in the 46th chapter, he said in the 11th verse, 
He said, I have spoken it. In the 11th verse of 46th chapter of Isaiah. He said, I have spoken it. I will bring it to pass. I have proposed it and I will do it. So God said, if you refuse his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you've got to pay the price. God said that. I didn't say it. I'm just repeating what God said. I'm not repeating gossip. I'm repeating to you the truth. And when God said that you're a sinner, for all of sin comes short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. And God said in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God said it. And if you receive Jesus, God said he would not cast you out, that he would save you. Romans 10.9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, thou shalt be saved. This is the words of God, and every word of Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Proper for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. God is trying to tell you that his word is truth, and he tells you through a born-again Christian. He won't tell you through a false prophet. Never will a false prophet repeat the words of God that saves the soul of man. They don't repeat that. They're always trying to give you some kind of an anointing or some kind of a special experience or some kind of a fly-by-night gimmick. And every one of their performances has to be bigger than the next one. But the true Christian gives you the words of God unto salvation. This is the words of God. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness or forbearance, not knowing that the goodness of God, the goodness of God leadeth you to repentance. The words of God lead you to repent. Turn from your way of life and turn unto God. God gives you repentance if you will receive Jesus Christ. He'll help you be saved. He says not your, his will that any should perish. But it's appointed unto men once to die. Now, we all know that to be the fact. Hebrews 9.27 is pointed to men who once die, but after that, the judgment. So we know that everyone's going to die. God said it. He said, I said it, and it's going to happen. But Isaiah spoke God's word and said, let's reason about it. You know that you're going to die. But not only die, but after that, the judgment. The judgment. The danger is... You're running out of time to receive Christ as Lord and Savior because over in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12, God said, this is what's going to happen to you. 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12. As God said, he said that for the mystery of iniquity. Who's the mystery of iniquity? That is Satan himself doth already work See, Satan is trying to get you to go to hell. He said he already worked. Only he, the Holy Spirit of God, the third member of the Godhead, I keep telling you, we got some one gods who don't believe there's any other person except God the Father. But there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're one God, that's for sure. But there are three persons in that Godhead, and the Holy Spirit is in charge of this world. He who now letteth will let 
The Holy Spirit's in control. Satan can't do nothing that God won't allow. But God is letting this happen until he takes all the Christians off the earth. See, the reason God allows this world to go on as it is is because God wants one more person to go to heaven. But God won't make you go to heaven. He won't make you be saved. He won't make you believe the word of God. That's your free will that you do it with. You have the free will to choose your destination. That's the one time you didn't have free will in life. One time is the only time you didn't have free will in life. When you were, under in you were conceived by your mother, the time of conception, you didn't have one thing to do with that. You were conceived without your permission, without your willpower. And that is the only time that you didn't have a right to your willpower since you've been on this earth. But you didn't have the, no willpower to prevent you from being here. You came into this world without, your, without knowledge of it. You were born. You were nothing until the day of conception. Then God himself made you a human. And this happened. And the devil didn't have anything to do with it. The devil didn't make you. But when you came into this world, you have a willpower that you have a right to choose where you go out of this world. You can choose the world and all its pleasures, but you will not reap the glory of heaven unless you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. See, at one time you were nothing, nobody, nothing, but the moment of conception, you became somebody. You were a person. That person was born to serve God, to glorify Jesus, to worship and praise and be company with God. You were born to be with God, but you, you have the willpower to choose. You have a free will. God won't make you be a Christian. You've got to come to Jesus freely and give him your life. When does this happen? When you become to the age of accountability. When a child learns right and wrong and about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit tells him, here, now is accepted time. You have time to do this from the time of birth to the time of death. But when death comes, there's no more. You are still a person. And you will be a person throughout eternity. And you will spend everlasting eternity in a lake of fire if you refuse the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen again. For the mystery of iniquity, 2 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 12, doth already work. For he who now letteth will let until he's taken out of the way. When he's taken out of the way. When who is taken out of the way? When every born-again Christian with the Holy Spirit is taken to heaven with a shout of an archangel by the Lord Jesus Christ that will meet us in the eastern sky one day soon, this will happen. And the Holy Spirit leaves with us because he cannot go without us. Because the Holy Spirit, the Word of God said, I'll be in you and with you always. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We will be gone. And you... Lost man, listen closely. You say, no, that ain't going to bother me. But the words of God, it says, 
And then that wicked, the devil, Satan himself, will be revealed and who the Lord shall consume at the end of tribulation. And then the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy the spirit of his mouth. The word of God destroys Satan. And you with him. And you will go to the lake of fire just exactly like Satan's going there. This will happen. And the spirit of his mouth shall destroy with the brightnesses of his coming. Even him who's coming after the workings of Satan. After even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Satan is at our doorstep today with lies, deceit, deception, and treachery trying to lead you into a religious world. A religious world that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Christians are becoming fewer and fewer as God is taking them to heaven. Then one day with a shout of an archangel, every born-again Christian will leave this earth. And you have not received Christ as Lord and Savior. The harvest is past. The summer's ended. You're not saved. Jeremiah 4, chapter. Then he said, the tenth birth, Satan with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, you lost man have not received Christ as Lord and Savior, because you receive not the love of the truth. The love of the truth is the word of God as the Holy Spirit brings you today these words into your heart that you need to be saved. You need to admit you're a sinner. Believe in the death, burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, come into my heart. That's salvation. And then you will know you will know that you're saved. You won't have to guess because the Word of God assures you that you are. The Holy Spirit that lives within you will never leave you, never forsake you. He'll be in you and with you always. And He assures you of your salvation. You'll never know what I'm talking about until you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. But He said, Because they, that's you lost man, receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause, this cause because of what? Because you refuse in believing the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Refuse to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, for this cause God shall send you strong delusions that you will believe a lie. That they, that's you, all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. When you do not believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, God promised you, and it's going to happen. Just exactly as God's Word said it would be. Another one. You think you know yourself. You think you've got control. Except for the restraint of the Holy Spirit of God, God tells you over in 2 Timothy, I want to read it directly for you. I don't want no saying that you misquoted the scripture. 2 Timothy, 2nd chapter. 2 Timothy says, He will take you at will. Satan takes man at will. Without the Holy Spirit restraining, then you're taken at will. Listen closely. That you may recover yourself out of the snare of the devil who, that's you, are taken 
captive by Satan at his will. So you think you're your own boss, huh? You sure are. But your willpower is not tampered with by God. You can, you, you can either receive Jesus as Lord and Savior or you can choose Satan. And if you choose Satan, I just quoted you, that when the Holy Spirit takes every Christian off this earth, you're lost forever. Never, never will you ever get out of the hell that you're going to in the lake of fire. God said, hearken to me. Over in 4612 of Isaiah. I want you to hear closely. God's telling you to hearken to him because of the fact that time is so short and that there is no repentance after. You have heard the word of God and the Lord takes everyone off of this earth and Satan and his man Antichrist comes on board. Then there is no repentance. You cannot because he said, I'll put a delusion on your eyes and you will be damned. Now, as Hebrews 9.27 plainly tells us, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after that, the judgment, the judgment, the judgment of what? How you lived your life from the time you begin to know the will of God in your life, and how do you know that? It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when you hear the word of God, you know his will is that you be saved. Now up to that point, how old it is, maybe from one to six years old, whenever a child learns about Jesus and right and wrong, the Holy Spirit teaches him, then from then on, you are responsible to God. You're somebody, and you are a soul that God wants to go to heaven. And you will make up your mind. If you say, I'll wait a while, that's just saying no. That's another way to say, I don't really believe this. Because when you truly believe in the death, burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's natural. Jesus, come into my heart. I accept you, King of kings, Lord of lords, as my Lord and Savior. Yes, the devil takes you at will. Now is accepted time. Not tomorrow. Today is a day of salvation. It's not his will that you should perish, but that you should come to repentance. Jesus wants you to go to heaven. God said, hearken unto me. And God said he would save you. But God also said, when you turn him down, then God don't owe you but that one sermon, just one word of God telling you to how to be saved. And that simple how to be saved is admit you're a sinner. Believe in the death, burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be willing to turn from your way of life and turn unto Jesus Christ. This is God's will for you. There is no other way. Calling upon the name of whom you believed in. That's salvation. When you reject that, you reject God. You reject his words. There is no other way. This is your day. This is your one sermon. Maybe the only one you'll ever hear. If it is, you will remember it all through eternity. Because hell has got a special place for you. The lake of fire has got a special place for you. Who, who simply mock the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, I'm not mocking. Yes, when you refuse it, you are mocking. But one day, say, one day God's going to say, in your calamity, I will mock you. I will laugh at you in your devastation. He said, I'll laugh at you and you cry out when you get before this great white throne judgment. 
Read it for yourself in Revelations chapter 20. When you get up there and you put on this show and you say, well, I'm, I did this all good, he's going to laugh at you. You won't have no lawyer up there to protect you. But see, you will stand alone between you and the one who made this universe. Chapter 20 of Revelations, one thing is real. There will be a judgment. One thing is real. It's the word of God. One thing is true. It's the word of God. And one thing will always stand. That's the word of God. But he said, I saw, chapter 20, verse 11, I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was no place for them, no place to hide, no earth to stand on, no heavens. They all fled away from the face of God. And out here in the middle of nowhere in outer space is a great white throne. And billions upon top of billions of people are standing on nothing on thin air. And here is God, Lord Jesus Christ, and every born-again Christian is standing here on this side of the great white throne judgment. You're on the hell side of great white throne judgment. Death and hell is brought back to the great white throne judgment. Every man will stand before God individually and he is not now at a point of being saved. He is at a point at the great white throne judgment where and how deep you will spend in hell and the lake of fire. The least portion of it will be more than you will think you'll ever stand, but it will be forever torment, sorrow, sickness, and pain, and horror that you never dreamed of. Oh, you won't, what? You won't be mocking God then. You'll be saying, oh God, please don't do this to me. Too late, too late. You're bound for a lake of fire when you get there. The only reason that you're going to be there is because you refuse to believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and ask Jesus to come in your heart while you were here on earth. And the great white throne judgment, verse 12, chapter 20, Revelations. And I saw the dead, the small, the great, stand before God, and the books was open. And the books were open. What is the books? The books is everything you did on this earth, every moment you spent, every time you heard the word of God and refused it, you'll go deeper into the lake of fire forever and ever because you refuse the word of God. You think this is horrible. Wait till you get to the lake of fire. You're going to see something that's beyond your imagination, the burning and torture which you will have throughout eternity. He said, the books is open. Bring that man before me. And you're going to be pleading, kneeling. You say, I'll never kneel. You'll kneel. You'll kneel before God here on earth or you'll kneel at the great white throne judgment and you will be begging. But God said, I'll just laugh at you. I'll mock you because you mocked the word of God on earth is the only reason you're there. And the only reason you'll go to hell is because you refuse to believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he said, and he opened another book. Another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written. The dead, the wicked dead, those who refuse to believe in the death, burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is judged out of the books 
on the penalty of how far in the lake of fire that they're going to be put. How much torment, which just a little bit is more than you'll ever dream of. If you ever burnt your finger, just a little blister had throbs and throbs. Think of being burned all over, never dying, never fully dying for billions of ages with the torment you'll taste, you'll smell, you'll feel, you'll hear, your eyes, and you'll feel. You'll feel the burning of your body, but never burning up. Just constant torture. All because you believed in Satan instead of the words of God. You believe the gossip of the world, the lies, the deceit, the treachery of the world. That's the reason you're there. Those who are born again by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ will be there to watch you be cast into the lake of fire. There will be no pity because sin has to be paid for. This is what I have for you today. I've given you a sermon of salvation to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. What God's Word says, and I know, on April the 27th, 1980, I know that God saved me. I know Jesus came into my heart. I know that I was born again. You have that choice today. You can escape the lake of fire and hell just with the simple words that I did and said these simple words, this simple prayer, if you believe it. If you don't believe it, you're wasting your time. Don't try to con God. This very words, believe it. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the record of his finished works on Calvary's cross. I want you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. I will repent, turn from my way of life, and turn unto you with your help. Jesus, come into my heart. Save me today. You know, if you really believe that, God said to you in John 6, 37, Jesus speaking personally to you. Him that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. Do it today. Save your life.
house on a country road tonight. I picked your bag and peeked inside. Thought I heard somebody praying. My heart was heavy laden and tears flowed from my eyes. I said I wish someone who prayed would call my name tonight. Won't somebody call my name and pray tonight? I can't pray. I'm too Oh 
the sun when to shine and kisses the flowers each morning with dew but he's not too busy to care about you we have a heavenly father church, sang in the choir, even paid my tithes, but somehow or another, I just had to try the world, and I did, and being hard-headed, I followed my so-called friends, and I got myself in so much trouble, and my soul was in such misery. And I began reading Matthew, the 13th chapter, the 21st the 22nd verse. And that's when I fell on my knees and confessed. I said, Father, I am weak. I'm weak. Thou art strong. But from my weakness, Father God, I've done wrong. Since I turn aside, have come and gone. Now my soul, my soul is in misery. And right now, Lord, I'm willing to confess all of my sins to thee. I began to read Romans 10, 9. And I told God to take me back and try me one more time. And he answered my prayer. Now, if you are one that your parents have taught you about Christ, but when you grew up, got a little beside yourself and went back into the world. But mothers and fathers, you don't have a thing to worry about because Jesus said, train a child the way it should go. And when it is old, it will not depart. Then say it wouldn't stray, you know, we'll all have made mistakes. But when that child come to a cross, road in life, they'll remember everything you told them. They'll say, Father, I confess all of my sins to thee. Then merciful God 
will open up his loving arms. He'll take that child back. God knows he'll try them one more time. I hear that child saying to God right now, I'm weak, but thou art strong. And from my weakness, Father God, I've done wrong. Since I turned aside, I was hard-headed. I disobeyed my parents, and somehow or another, I got caught up in a big mess. And I'm ashamed of myself. Merciful Father, in the name of Jesus, take your child back, take me back, Lord, and try me one more time. And that child kept on saying, in the name of Jesus, 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 try me, Lord, one more time. And God show answer that child's prayer. Matthew 24 And Jesus went out, and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him, for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another, that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars, and rumours of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines, and pestilences, and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same, shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, 
those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass, till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day, when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Psalm chapter number 34. Thank you so much for being here. I, chapter number 34. Years ago, look up here at me. When I was converted to Christ, 25 wonderful years ago, my mind was just about totally fried from the drug addiction that I experienced in my lifetime. 
I could barely read the Bible. The words and the content of the scripture would not register. Somebody gave me the New Testament on tape. And I followed it through the New Testament 23 times. And that's how the Lord taught me how to read all over again. My wife is here tonight after we were married. Sometimes I would start reading the Bible at 9 o'clock at night, following it through on the, with the New Testament tapes playing. And they would play and I would read till 6 o'clock the next morning. Get a shower and go to work and work all day and never even yawn. I fell in love with this Bible. This Bible, the Word of God. And it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to know about God. And I'll never forget the first time I read the book of Psalm. I came to chapter number 34 where we're at tonight. When we got to chapter number 34 and I come to verse number 6, it was as though the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, this is your life verse. This has been my life verse for 25 wonderful years. Here's what David said in Psalm chapter number 34 and verse number 6. This poor man cried. <laughs> now watch what happens when you cry to the Lord. And the Lord heard him. Boy, I appreciate that. And saved him out of all his troubles. Notice he said he saved him. He didn't decision him. He didn't sign him up. He didn't baptize him. He didn't church membership him. He didn't join the lodge. Thanks God he got saved. I tell you, I like that word saved. Now, I don't know a lot, and i got a lot to learn, but i tell you one thing I do know. I know that I know that I know I've been saved out of all my troubles. People ask me all the time where I came from. Where were you born? I was born in the northeast corner of Mississippi. Because of work and money, my father moved to Cleveland, Ohio when I was about a year and a half old. He got a job working for Ford Motor Company in the city of Cleveland because money was very scarce back in those days in 1960. Daddy moved to the ghettos of Cleveland, Ohio. Housing was very cheap, a lot of projects, low-life people. And according to his income at that time, that was the only place we could live. So when I was a year and a half old, my mother and father left Mississippi and took me to the concrete jungles of Cleveland, Ohio. At that time, there was one million people living just inside the city limits of Cleveland. And it's just one house after another, and people are stacked on top of each other. And down in the ghetto, people are low living and low lives, and sin takes a rapid charge on your life at a very young age. I'm the baby of five children. My oldest sister was a barmaid at a local beer joint. I lived next door to a bar all of my life. Across the street was another bar that was inhabited by the Hells Angels motorcycle gang. We have all pictures of that displayed at the back of the tent that you can view tonight. But there's one thing about living in the ghettos of a big city. You don't have to worry about anybody knocking on your door and inviting you to church. I lived in the part of town that when you called police, they would say we would be right there and never come. And personally, I didn't blame them. But I remember as a little boy playing out on the concrete sidewalks, we would see people travel through the ghetto with their windows up and their doors locked just to view what it was like inside that concrete jungle. Several times I've seen women when they stopped at the red lights and the women would look around I would see them as they would sit in their cars and begin to cry. They could not believe that people lived in the situations in which we lived in. 
But I'll never forget November 21st, 1975. I was 16 years old now. I'd been brought up in the ghetto, and that's all I'd known all of my life. It's a little after 6 o'clock at night now. Everybody's out partying, doing their own thing, and I'm home alone. I took a 32 9-shot automatic Colt pistol that my father gave me several years prior to this. I'm 16 years of age. I cocked the gun, and I put it up against my head, and slowly I began to pull the trigger. Now, what would motivate a 16-year-old boy raised in the fast lanes of a ghetto to come to the end of his rope and not even desire life anymore. The title of the message tonight is it started with a pistol, but it ended with a bang. Before you criticize me for the pistol being up against my head at such a young age, you would have to know what I had experienced and what I had been through in the earlier years of my life. At the age of 10, my oldest sister came to me. She was 21 years older than I was. She came to me and told me that there was an opening down at the bar that she worked at. It was called B&R Lounge. We have pictures of that very lounge in the back of the tent as well. She was a barmaid there. And back then they had eight lanes of bowling, but they did not have the automatic pin setters. So somebody had to sit behind the lanes and set the pins up by hand. That was my job at the age of 10. My father was a drunkard. My grandpa died in the state penitentiary of being a mass murderer. We knew nothing about God and knew absolutely nothing about the Bible. I would go to those beer joints and I would work all night long. It was the law in Cleveland at that time. At 2.30 in the morning, all the beer joints had to close. That's when the highlight of my life began. Because while the beer joints were closing down and we were cleaning up the lanes and my sister was patching up some of the chairs that had been broken in the fights in the bar that night, I would go out back behind the lounge. Back then, beer was served in glass bottles. I would go out behind the lounge. They would put them back in the cardboard crates for the beer man to pick them up and exchange them and pay their deposit. And I would suck the foam out of those beer bottles as a 10-year-old boy out of the cases. And there, sitting in the back of a dark back alley at the age of 10 in the middle of a big city, there I found out why my daddy was a drunkard and why he enjoyed indulging in alcohol. My family knows this. My mother was sitting in my living room not long ago and with tears in her eyes, she told my boys the first time she ever found me drunk, I was 10 years old. I remember getting up the next morning. Can you imagine a 10-year-old boy? I remember getting up the next day sick with a headache, vomiting, mommy grabbing me, weeping and crying and saying, please, I don't think I can handle another drunkard in this home. I worked at that beer joint until I was 12 years of age. I hated to go home. I was fussing and cussing and fighting and vomiting and gambling and booze. So I got a job at another beer joint, and there I would work, and I would cook for the drunks at night at Century Lounge. I'll never forget one night. I was 12 years old. My life was empty. I already realized there was a void place in my heart, but I didn't know what it was. One night, a fight broke out over a 25-cent game of pool inside the beer joint. Liquor makes you do a lot of stupid things. And I'll never forget as the men tumbled outside to the front deck of the beer joint, I remember running outside to see the fight. And while they were fighting, several men pinned the man down and took a pool stick and gouged his eyes out of his head in front of that joint that night. I thought I'd heard a man scream for mercy and scream out of pain before. But I never heard a man scream like that man screamed. As the fluid of his eyes ran down the side of his face, he screamed so loud it was literally blood-curdling. I remember they shut the bar down early that night. The police came. Many men were arrested. I remember walking home that night in the middle of the night by myself in the, in the populated streets of that jungle. And I remember looking up to the star-quilted sky and saying to myself at the age of 12, 
There's got to be more to life than living in a beer joint and losing your eyeballs over a pool game. Had somebody, Brother Whitman, loved me enough to give me a track, knocked on my door and invited me to church, somebody could have won me to Christ as a 12-year-old boy. At the age of 13, I met a man named Nicky Shaw. Little did I know at that time that he was sent by the devil to ruin my life. He introduced me to the drug scene. I'd never been introduced to it. I'd heard about it and seen it. But never had I laid my hands on it or had anything to do with it. At the age of 13, I got tired of going home. If you've never been raised in a drunkard's home, you don't know what it's like to get up in the morning and step over people laying in the floor that you don't even know and wipe the vomit off the toilet and out of the sink so you can get ready to school for school the next day. That's the kind of atmosphere I lived in. I knew what it was to open the refrigerator door and no food inside but beer fall off the door handles, off the inside of the doors. I knew what it was to cut a clothesline and make a belt because Mama couldn't afford to buy me one. I knew what it was like in the wintertime to put my feet in plastic bags under my shoes so my socks wouldn't get wet on the way to school because we couldn't afford proper clothing in them days. But there seemed to always be enough money for liquor. There was always enough money for cigarettes. There was always enough money for a Friday night poker game. And that's why I hate it, bless God. And that's why I'll preach a gotcha till the day I die. Liquor has damned this country to hell. My papa died a mass murder in the state penitentiary because of homebrew and liquor and the filthiness of, of dark money. And so I began to run the streets, and Mickey began to sell me some things that made me high. But I did what every stupid young boy did. It wasn't long until my drug habit was more than I could make on the weekends at a beer joint. So I began to do what every dumb junkie does. I began to be a delivery boy and sell it to take care of my own needs. I'll never forget one night, I was 14 years old, I got $3,000 behind in a dope deal. I was praying this morning and walking, and I thought about it, $3,000 today really doesn't sound like a lot of money. But 25 years ago, that would be like $75,000 today. I knew the men that we were selling drugs from were coming out of New York, but I did not know what I had gotten involved with. When I got ripped off of $3,000 and I called my pusher and I told him what had happened, all of a sudden I began to get phone calls. They called my mom and dad and said that they would kill me if the money was not turned over to them immediately. I knew nothing about God. My life was empty, and all of a sudden, now I've got to look over my shoulder everywhere I go. My daddy set me down at the age of 14 and gave me a Colt, nine-shot automatic pistol. And he said, son, don't ever pull it unless you mean to use it, because the other man don't know if you're joking or not. And if you pull it and not use it, you're liable to get killed. From that night forward, I carried the gun everywhere I went. I slept with it. I went to school with it. I worked with it. That gun became my best buddy. It was my security blanket. I knew that I could defend myself. But something happened around our house. We, we began to get some visitors, and my life was already ruined, and Daddy had a brother that lived on the other side of Cleveland, over there where the humans lived. And it was Uncle Buford and Aunt Florine. And come to find out, they had gotten uh, religiously saved, is what they told Dad. I did not know what that meant, and neither did I care. And so they would come over to the house and try to tell my family how to be saved. But daddy told me when I was a boy that his great aunt read the Bible one time and she lost her mind and spent the rest of her life in a mental ward. So dad always told me religion will drive you crazy. And you know what? He's right. But Jesus can put you in your right mind. 
Religion will drive you crazy. And so when Uncle Buford would come over to witness to my family, of course, I would exit out the nearest door. Aunt Florine's a little bit wider than this pulpit at that time. She probably weighed 350 plus. Uncle Buford looked just about like this microphone. And that is the God's truth. I have pictures of them back there tonight that you can view. And so when they would get out of the car and come to visit, I would yell, here comes Laurel and Hardy again, because that was exactly what they looked like. And by the time they got to the front porch, brother, I was out the back door. I was $3,000 behind in a dope deal. How'd you like to be 14 years old and old $75,000 tonight? Some fellows begin to come from New York, and I knew my life was in jeopardy. I went to a party with what was called some of my friends. Little did I know that night that a hallucinogenic had been put in my drink. Several minutes passed, the room began to spin, things began to get dark, and I realized that I'd been what they called shafted. I don't really know what happened altogether after that because I was rendered unconscious in just a few minutes. But I do know they picked my body up and carried me to a set of railroad tracks across the street from my daddy's house. They ripped all the clothes off of my body like a bunch of dogs. They dislocated my arms and my legs and literally beat my face off of my skull almost and left me laying there in a pool of blood stretched out crossways over a set of railroad tracks. That night, within an hour, a train was scheduled to come down the rail. Had that train come down the rail and my body laid there, my guts would have splattered down the steel rails and my soul would have went straight to hell without God. My nephew was down in a little place called Rabbit Valley throwing a party. The party had concluded they were staggering up the tracks and found my bloody naked body laying on a set of railroad tracks. They picked me up and found part of a bed sheet laying over on the side of the road and they made a little hammock out of it and carried me home. Again, I was totally unconscious. All I remember is waking up in the hospital the next morning. And they toted me home that night and rang the doorbell and when they did, Mom opened the door, of course, and began to cry. Blood was dripping from my body. The sheet had already turned to crimson red. And she said, oh God, what's happened to my baby? And they said, I don't know. We found him on the tracks naked and we've wrapped him in this bed sheet. My arms and legs were pulled out of socket. And out of all the people that could have been at my daddy's house that night, Uncle Buford and Aunt Florine was sitting in the living room with a Bible trying to tell my daddy how to be saved. I don't remember anything that night, but when they carried my bloody body, Brother John, through that living room, God gave Uncle Buford a burden for my soul like he had never had before. God broke their heart for a hippie boy that knew nothing about God and nothing about the Bible. Uncle Buford told me later from that day on, every morning when he got up to eat breakfast, they would pull their chairs away from the table and get on their knees together and say, God, we're pleading the blood that you'll save Phil Kid for Jesus' sake. Yeah. Uncle Buford never had any children. That night when he would come home from work, they would bow down before the table. Oh, God, save Phil Kid for Jesus' sake, we pray. I had no idea they were praying for me. Never talked to them in all of my life. Had no intentions on ever talking to them. Well, I'm going to tell you something, friend. You may get away from a church and you may get away from a preacher, but you can't get away from somebody praying for you. For two solid years, that's right. For two solid years they prayed for me. And you know what was strange? The more they prayed, the worse I got. The more they cried, 
the wickeder I live. But Aunt Florine said she jumped up one day and told Uncle Buford, said it doesn't stagger my faith. Said God told me he's going to take him to the bottom and save him by the grace of God and bring him out of the pit through the blood of Jesus. You just keep on a praying, Buford. God's a taking him to the bottom. And at the age of 14, staggering through an alley one night with several of my friends, I was about to get in an event that was going to devastate me for the rest of my life. Young man, if there's one thing I want to tell you about sin, it's simply this. It just takes a minute to get in it. But it'll take you a lifetime to get out of it. I was walking through an alley with several of my buddies. It was not quite dust dark. I had pictures of the very scene on the table. Several of my buddies were with me and I had my pistol jammed down the back of my pants and I was coming through the alley. I'm $3,000 behind on a dope deal and they sent some men down in Mercedes from New York and all of a sudden I realized I'm dealing with big boys and I knew they would kill me and never even dream about it. I was walking through the alley. We were just talking, going to have a casual night. I'll never forget it. To my sadness and sorrow to tell you, I've relived it a million times seemingly. I remember seeing a car pull up at the end of the alley and stop and I thought to myself, why is a car stopping there? All of a sudden the windows came down and rifles, the barrels of rifles came out the side of the car. I remembered what my dad said, son, if you're going to pull the gun, use it. And I remember my friend said, watch it, they've got guns. And I remember pulling the pistol out of my back. And I remember I started pumping the lead through the side of that car. And I pumped all nine shots in the side of that car. And I'm going to tell you the God's truth. I bet to kill every stinking one of them. All of a sudden the lead began to fly. People began to scream. And in just a matter of seconds, people were hurt and bleeding and crying. And folks were calling the police. And I remember I was running through the alley and there was a fence on my left side. And a ball came bouncing up to the fence and over behind me. And I could see it in front of me, the ball bouncing around me. And I ran and the ball was behind me. And an eight-year-old girl that knew nothing about what was going on came running through an open fence gate to get the ball. And when she did, she ran behind me and I heard a pow from one of those rifles. When they shot that rifle, you hunters know what I'm talking about. I heard that thud. And I knew that the bullet had made contact with somebody. I dove through a set of high bushes and spun around as I fell to the ground. And it was Brother Potion. It was like my life went into slow motion. And I watched that beautiful blonde-haired girl as she grabbed her head and fell to the ground. And before she ever hit the ground, her hair was a crimson red. And I realized she had taken the shot. I ran through some alleys, ran over a couple of backyards, jumped some fences, threw some back of garages, and I went home. Several hours later, there was a knock on my door, and they said, Phil, have you heard what happened? And I said, no. All I know, man, is I shot. It was a shootout, and people were screaming. Is anybody dead? What, what, what happened? It happened so fast. I don't even know what happened. And they said, well, there's some people hurt, and some folks are scared. And they've called the law, and they've given a list of names. But they said, that little girl that ran out behind you when you dove through the woods, I said, yes. They said, Phil, she's dead. That bullet shot her and hit her right in the forehead. And she ran right behind you and I watched her. And that little girl took a bullet in the face and it saved your life. I remember going to Martin's funeral home. It was splattered all over the front page of the paper. They were trying to find out what happened. Nobody had been arrested yet. Everybody in the whole community was going crazy trying to find out who shot who, where all the bullets had come from. I remember going to Martin's funeral home and passing by a little old pink casket. There laid an eight-year-old girl with a slab of putty on her face 
where a bullet from a rifle had went through the front of her head. And her mother had a crippling disease, Brother Duncan, and she was in a wheelchair. And she wasn't that old, but she couldn't get out of the wheelchair. And she would lean over that casket and try to grab her baby. And she would cry, oh, God, it's my baby. It's my baby. It's my baby. I looked on the card as I went in and I signed in. And the little girl's name was Angel. And I kept that for a long period of time, that little funeral card. God let an angel take a bullet to save and preserve my wicked, vile life. I remember standing by the side of the casket that day. And the bitterness and hatred that was in the loins of my grandfather was now being manifested in my life. My papa killed a whole house full of people, then went home and killed my grandmother and put a 14-day-old baby under my grandmother's dead arm. My grandmother had just given birth to a baby 14 days earlier. My papa killed all the men, all the women, all the children, killed everybody except that one little boy he placed under my dead grandmother's arm. That same rage and temper that was in my grandpa had been passed down to me. The Bible said in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3 and 4, that the sin of the father will pass into the third and fourth generation. That raging streak of murder was now in my heart. I remember going home. Daddy was drunk. He was sitting at the table, and I said, Daddy, they killed that little girl in the process of trying to kill me. And I said, So help me, God. I'm not sleeping until I kill every one of them. I'm killing them. I found out where one of the men lived over on the ghetto with his wife. I went there with two other friends of mine, Gary and Steve. They were brothers. We broke into that little shack they lived in. I remember throwing a gallon of gasoline through the house and even on their bedroom door. And as I lit that match and that house almost exploded, I was running across the yard and I'll tell you how wicked and vile I was. When that place exploded, his wife got out of bed and said, Oh, God, this house is on fire. We're on fire. I was so wicked, I turned around and I yelled through the flames, Burn, you witch! Burn! In the middle of the night, there was a knock on the door. Three police cars and a squad car filled our front yard. I was handcuffed hand and foot like a dog and thrown in the back of a car and two attempted murder charges and an arsenic charge had been thrown on my life. And I remember, I remember that first night alone. No mom, no dad, no friends, all my buddies are gone. Look up here at me, son. You think you've got buddies? You wait till your tail goes to jail. You ain't got no buddies when you get to jail. My life was in shambles. It was falling all to pieces. I wanted help. I was going crazy. I could not get over the fact that that little girl had to die in my place. And Brother Poston, the thing that went through my mind when I saw her was, this ain't fair. This ain't fair. The innocent has died for the ungodly. That's not fair. I'm the one that should have died. She didn't do anything. This ain't fair. And it just about drove me out of my mind. On three separate occasions, I've been psychiatrically evaluated. Now, if you think you're nuts, you ought to be locked up in a mental ward one time. I'm going to tell you, there's some nuts in these mental wards, brother. And the craziest folk there are the psychiatrists. When I went for my third session course, I was going to stay out of the penitentiary. I didn't want to go to jail for attempted murder. When I was going to the psychiatrist after the third visit, he started telling me his problem. I said, bro, I don't want to hear it. I got enough trouble. That's your mess. 
Now, I'll never forget, man, they put me in a mental ward, and I had to share a room with another guy. Well, I'd already been there twice, so I knew all the angles, and I knew what to say, and we had little discussions where you sit in a circle and act like a bunch of idiots and tell each other what you're going to do when you get out, lie like a dog. Well, I'd been there twice, so I memorized all the right answers. And so that psychiatrist, he'd set us in a circle, you know, and he'd say, well, Phil, kid, what are you going to do when you get out of here? I said, man, I want to be a policeman. I want to protect society. And I said, I want to be a fireman. I want to put, man, I was in there for arson. And I said, uh, man, I want to save people's lives. I want to be a policeman, get some of these gangsters off the street. And I was in there for shooting. And I said, man, I just want to help folks the rest of my life. And the guy next to me was the guy I was going to have to share a room with. And they asked him, they said, what do you want to do when you get out of here? He said, uh, I want to be a rooster when I get out of here. I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, hey, brother, roosters don't get out of here. You're going to be here a long time. Now, I'll tell you something, brother. You talk about depression. You ought to have to share a room with a rooster. Now, look, I didn't mind him perching on the foot of the bed at night. I didn't care. That didn't bother me. But bless God, that crowing at daybreak got on my nerves. I'm going to tell you what I did. When they'd come and give us our medicine, I gave him mine. I'd knock him out and pulled his crowd. That's the drunkest rooster I ever saw in my life. I gave him both our medicines. I said, I can't handle this. But I remember on my third trip when I was sitting there talking to a psychiatrist, Dr. Lyons was his name. I remember reaching over the table and grabbing the lapels of his coat and pulling him to me. And I said, Mr. Lyons, don't you understand? I'm losing my mind. I can't get over that little girl taking my place. Don't you understand? I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Please help me. Take me somewhere. Give me something. i got to have relief. I can't live with this on me. I'm going to kill somebody. you got to help me. I'm going out of my mind. I'm going crazy. Please help me. Three times. Three times to the men of And they offered no help. Three times I was checked into a dry-out clinic for drug addiction. And I never lasted over 24 hours. On two occasions, I said, dumb, I accidentally overdosed. And God, in his sovereign mercy, both times, let my mother find me. And they rushed me to the hospital and pumped my gut and saved my life. A man mouthed off to my daddy when I was 15 years old. My daddy come and picked me up in his car with a baseball bat. And I went to West 89th Street and my daddy said, there he is. And all I remember is the first lick. The next thing to come to my mind, my dad was honking the horn. And blood was splattered all over my body and all over the bat, and the neighbors were surrounded screaming, Oh, God, he's dead. I remember running home and busting through the door, and my mother's eyes like to pop out of her head, and she said, Phil, what's wrong? I said, Mommy, get me some clean clothes. I think I just beat the brains out of a man. He's dead. And here they come back with the squad cars and pick me up and handcuff me, and all over all the sirens and the lights and the crowd, I could still hear my mama weeping out loud in the living room. Oh, God, that's my baby. They towed me away. That young man has lived a very secluded and limited life. His head is deranged and his mind is limited. And let me tell you something, son. I have to live with that every day of my life. Now I'm sick of life. 
Nobody has the answers. Nobody's offered me any help. So November 21st, 1975, I said the only way out of this mess is suicide. At least that's what rock music says. Ain't that right, boys? That's what the world says. That's what, that's what this wicked, dope-added crowd says. When you get to where you can't handle life, blow your head off. Get out of here. That's how stupid I was. November 21st, 1975, I'm 16 years old, getting ready to turn 17, and I'm sick of life. Now a policeman's been shot down the road. I've been arrested and questioned twice, and I'm facing 50 years in a penitentiary on a murder charge I never did prove to this day. Silence filled the room, and again, it was as though my life was in slow motion, and I said to myself, one pull of the trigger, and this stinking mess is over with. I'm checking out of this mess. I can't live like this. I put the gun against my head, and I begin to squeeze the trigger. And all of a sudden, out of the stillness, <laughs> the telephone rings. I, it so startled me that the phone rang. I remember jumping up and going like that, and I threw the gun, and it hit the wall and landed on the floor. And I went over there and I picked the phone up. It sounded like it was so loud when it rang that night. And I picked it up and I said, Hello! And a soft voice on the other end of the phone said, Is this Phil? I said, Yeah, this is Phil. Uh, who is this? She said, Phil, this is Aunt Florine. I said, Wonderful. Wonderful. I can't even kill myself. You talk about a loser. I can't even commit suicide without Laurel and Hardy calling me on the phone. I said, look, Aunt Florina, I'm sorry. Nobody's here but me. I'm by myself, and I'm taking care of some important business. I don't have time to talk to you. I got to go. Now, you got to understand, sir, I ain't never been to church in my life. I don't even know what it is. All I know is crazy folk go there. And she said, Phil, she started crying. She said, Phil, we're in revival down at our church tonight. When she said revival at church, I thought, the big Catholic church, I thought she was talking about a bingo game. And she was crying. She said, man, we're having revival at the church tonight. And I said, well, I hope you all win. I said... You know, hope y'all have a good time down there spinning them dice. I didn't know what revival. I never heard a word in my, my life. She started crying. She said, Phil, she said, Buford's out in the car with it running. said, I came here and turned the life off and shut the door. She said, I'd already put the lock on and grabbed the door handle. And she said, when I started to pull the door handle, she said, Phil, listen to me. She said, I know you don't understand this, but the Holy Ghost told me to come back in this house and call you. I'm not trying to be mean, Phil. I'm not trying to, trying to turn you off. But I'm telling you, God told me to call you on the phone. And Brother Post and I looked at that pistol laying on the floor. And I said to myself, had she not called, my brains would be blown out. And I would have been in the Christless eternity. And she said, Phil, tonight's bring a friend night. We've called people all day and can't get anybody to go to revival with us. Would you go to revival with us tonight? I said, Aunt Florine, come on. My hair's in a ponytail. I got out a pair of 36-inch bell-bottom blue jeans, four-inch white platform shoes, a dirty T-shirt, just got out of a dry-out clinic. They, they had swept me down to nothing. I weighed 102 pounds. I said, I don't have church clothes. I don't know nothing about church. She said, oh, you come as you are. Said, me and Buford's on the way. We'll be right there. God told me to call you. And when she said that, something in my heart said, wait a minute, boy. You've been everywhere and you've tried everything and look where you're at. Why don't you go to the house of God one time? And I said, Aunt Florine, I'm waiting on you. I'll never forget it. Woo! My first night at church, November 21st, 1975. There's about 300 people there that night. And every dad blasted, one of them was saved except me. I walked in the back of that building, man. I knew when I got there, I was in bad trouble. I sat on the back row, wanted as far away from that preacher as I could get because Daddy said they was in it for the money anyhow. And I didn't want no preacher pulling no gun on me and taking what few dollars I had. So I sat on the back row. 
I'll never forget it. That song leader got up there and act like he was having an epileptic seizure. And he said, let's all stand and sing Amazing Grace. Well, I didn't know what he was talking about. So I stood up with Aunt Florine and Uncle Buford. He's dancing all over the platform going like this. And the men started shouting. Do you understand? I don't know what shouting is. And, and the women start crying. And I hit Aunt Florine. I said, Aunt Florine, he ain't the best singer I ever heard. But it ain't nothing to cry about. I said, that's how dumb I was. I said, this thing will be over in a minute. He can't keep that up all night. He'll have a heart attack. Man, I'd never been in a song service. You imagine being that dumb. Almost 17 years old, knew nothing about the Bible. They got done with the singing, and they introduced an old man named Dr. Fred Garland. Some of you know him. Raise your hand. Some of you know him right here. Old Dr. Garland was a junkie that got saved out of Tombs Prison in New York City, New York. He was facing junkie and murder charges when he was converted years ago. And he was so old and broken up, they had to help him to the pulpit. Two guys carrying a preacher to the pulpit. And I said to myself, he's got to be a doozy. I mean, he can't even walk to the blasted pulpit and he's supposed to preach. How they forget he laid on the pulpit and he looked at us and said, I am what I am by the grace of God. And I said, I said to myself, what you complaining about, buddy? We all got problems. I thought he was complaining. And I, man, he got off and started preaching. I'll never forget it. He preached on hell that night. And I mean, he preached on it like everybody in the building was a-going. Well, it made me mad as a devil, man. There I am sitting there with a pistol in one, one of my pockets and a packet of money in the other. And I said, well, I'll blow a man's brains out telling me I'm going to hell. Is he crazy? He preached on hell for about 40 minutes. Hung me out over the fire. Told me how wicked and vicious and ungodly I was. Told me that God was holy and going to put me in hell if I didn't get saved. Man, he made me mad as a devil. Man, he just kept preaching on hell, kept preaching on hell, kept preaching on hell. Then he said, God bless you, good night, thanks for coming. And when they got him over there and he sat down, they said, we're going to take an offering now. I said, uh-huh, this is what Dad said, I better watch right here. I'm sitting on the back row now. You got to understand, I don't know nothing except this guy's been yelling, go to hell for 45 minutes. And when the offering plate got to me, money was falling out of it. There was so much money in that offering plate. Man, when service is over, I told Uncle Buford, I said, I'm going to tell you, I've been in a mental ward three times. I've had to share a room with a fellow that thought he was a rooster. But I said, I'm going to tell you something. It's the craziest crowd I've ever been with. Hey, you all need to check in to the mental ward in the morning. He said, well, Phil, what's wrong? I said, I ain't never been to a place where an old man tell you to go to hell and you bunch of dummies pay him to do it. I said, I saw the money coming out of them buckets. I said, man, anybody can tell you to go to hell, get paid for it. I said, that man's crazy. Now, let me tell you how crazy I was, Brother Mike. This is how dumb I was. When service was over, he was standing down front and there's a line of people waiting to see him. Well, I thought they was mad. So I got in line. <laughs> Uncle Buber said, come on, Phil, we need to go. I said, huh, I need to talk to that bald-headed fella. I said, all these folk in front of me mad? And I said, I'm mad too, so I'm getting in. I thought it was the complaint department. You know, they're coming through and they're crying. And I said, man, they're so mad, they're crying about it. And I said, Uncle Buford, I ain't leaving here and I talk to this old man. That's how nuts I was. Finally, it got my turn. There stood old Dr. Garland, old little shrimpy, hunchback, bald-headed man. I got a picture of him over there. There he stood and I got up to him, man. The whole crowd gathered around. What's this hippie going to say? I said, hey, old man, look up here at me. I said, who died and left you in charge of this stinking universe anyhow? I said, how do you know I'm going to hell? You ain't my daddy. I said, this whole crowd's going to hell, and you're probably going to hell too, so why don't you go home and forget about it? 
And I started to walk away and he grabbed my t-shirt. He looked at me and he said, son, are you a junkie? And I said, yes, sir, I, I am. He said, I was too till God saved me and turned around and walked away and left me standing there. Son, I got in Uncle Buford's car and they took me home and I had a trunk full of dope in my car. I was supposed to deliver it down the road that night. But I tell you, man, something done got a hold of me. That man had yelled, go to hell for 45 minutes and I couldn't get away from it. I got home that night. I called Tommy on the phone. I said, look, if you want the drugs, come get them. I'll leave the trunk unlocked, put the money under the seat. I don't feel good. I'm going to bed. Oh, I don't feel good. I'm going to bed. <laughs> you may get away from the four walls of a Baptist church. You may get away from a little old hunchback preacher, but somebody done told the Holy Ghost where I lived. And brother, when I got home, he was there. Hallelujah. Bless his holy name. I tell you, I was under conviction that night, man. I was working in a funeral home, Brother Glenn, and I got to thinking about how many people died in the dark that we picked up their bodies. And I said, oh, brother, if I die, I'm dying with the light on. And I turned the light on. And brother, I laid back down and started to go to sleep. I can hear that man say, it's Jesus or hell. It's repent or perish. You can't go to heaven unless you're born again. And I started to doze off and I thought, no. I picked up a body the other night. A man went to sleep and died in his sleep. And I said, man, if I die, I'm going to hell. But if I die, I'm dying with the lights on and my eyes wide open. Brother, I was under conviction so bad, I sat up in the bed all night long. When daybreak broke that midnight sky the next morning, I called that Florine. I'm miserable, under conviction. All I could hear is that old man saying, you're going to hell. Oh, you're going to burn in hell. I called that Florine. She answered the phone and said, hello. I said, shut up. I said, I don't want to talk to you and I don't want you talking to me. But I, I want to go hear that old man again. I mean, it's Friday night and He's going to be dead soon, and I'll never get to see him again. And I'd just like to, I'd just like to go hear that old man preach one more time. And Uncle Buford said, Aunt Florine hung the phone up and went like this. He's a pulling him in, Buford. Wow! He's a pulling him in. Hallelujah. Son, I tell you, I drove my car to church that night. That place was packed. I sat back there on the back. That same crazy song leader was falling all over the platform. The men screamed. The women cried. They introduced that old man in the pulpit. I'll never forget what that old man said as long as I live. He said, ladies and gentlemen, for some strange reason, God told me to preach on hell again tonight. I said, no, that can't be God. I wanted to stand up and say, you're a liar. God ain't never told you to tell everybody to go to hell two nights in a row. And brother, I tell you, he picked up where he left off. And I've been hearing him preach in my heart and soul all day on hell and dying without God. And he's a preaching on hell again like a wild man. Service started at 7.30. But brother Crawford at 15 minutes after 8, something happened in the middle of that service. He was preaching wide open and his lips began to quiver. And a big old tear popped out of his eye. And he looked at me and he said, Ladies and gentlemen, the good news of the gospel is you don't have to go to hell. Jesus loves you. And he died on the cross to pay for your sins. And God gave his only begotten son to redeem your soul out of hell. I grabbed old Aunt Florine by the hand and I started to squeeze her hand. His lips started quivering again. And out of all the things he could have said, he said, it doesn't matter where you've been and what you've done. 
Jesus will forgive you and save you. I've been making the front page of the paper facing 50 years in prison. And they were splattering me all over the paper there in the city, my picture and my name. And I remember I looked over and grabbed Aunt Florine by the hand and I said, Aunt Florine, he needs to meet me before he says that again because God can't love me. He doesn't know where I've been. He don't know how wicked I am. God can't love me. And I looked back up there at him and here's what he said. He said, ladies and gentlemen, when Jesus died on the cross, it was the innocent dying for the ungodly. My mind went back to that little pink casket. I said, oh my God, I can't live with that on me again. He said, Jesus took your place. You should have been crucified. You should have died on the cross. You should be in hell with your back broke. But the divine Prince of Glory loved you enough that He came down from heaven and shed His blood on the cross and died for your sins. And I looked at Aunt Florine and I said, Aunt Florine, do you really believe God could save me? She said, Phil, that's why we've been wanting you to come. God can save you right in the middle of the service. I didn't know nothing about an invitation. I'd never heard just as I am. I didn't know nothing about a Roman's road. But I knew I was going to hell. And I believe Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sin debt. Brother, I jumped up out of my seat, come a-running down the aisle, slid on my knees and hit that altar, and I got saved before the first mossy back Baptist ever got their hands on me. I was already born again, forgiven of all my sin, washed in the blood, and put in God's family. Yeah. When I got off the altar... It was, eight, it was about 8.30. 8 is when I got saved. When I got up off the altar, I looked out across the building, tears running down my face, and everybody's going like this. In a Baptist church. I said, well, I, I don't know, but I won't in on it, and I got to jumping with them. Bless God, I want it in right. Hey, brother, I got to looking around that building, and you know what had happened? Hey, Dr. Edwards, who oh, Aunt Florine, Woo! she saw me getting saved. That floor, Brother Poston's been to the church where I got saved. That floor was a wooden floor, kind of like this platform. And when she saw me getting saved, she had a Holy Ghost fit. I thought about she couldn't stand it, brother. She got to shouting and got to running around that building. Oh, Aunt Florine was so heavy. When her foot had hit the floor, everybody else was around her would bounce up like a trampoline. Yeah. I got saved at 15 minutes after 8. Listen to me. 13 people got saved that night. We shouted till 10.30 in a Baptist church. Shouted two hours and 15 minutes the night I got saved. Hey, I left the church that night, walked two blocks home. Remembered I drove my car. Had to walk back to the church, bless God, and get my car. I told the preacher, I said, I don't know what all I got, but if God had put a little more on me, I'd just fly to the house and come get my car in the morning. Hallelujah. I mean, I got saved, man. And I've never had to go back to a mental ward. I've never needed another psychiatrist. He met the need of my life, my soul. And to God be the glory, much more I could say, but I got to close. I got to close. To God be the glory. My children's never had a drunk dad. They've never went to bed at night wondering where their mama was. Not long ago, my wife and I went back to a street 
where I remember laying on the side of the curb and throwing up into a sewer drainage. I was sick, and I remember laying on the curb and throwing up in that sewer. I got to drive by there not long ago. My wife and I was sitting there in that Lincoln, had a Bible between us holding hands, and I stopped at the red line, and I looked at that old sewer where I used to lay. Tears began to run down my face, and I started singing, Thanks to Calvary. I don't have to live like that anymore. I'm telling you, friend, there's not a chain Jesus can't break. There's not a sin the blood can't cleanse. There's not a scar that you can't get help from God in tonight. I'm telling you, I'm glad there's still a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners cries beneath that blood. They're guilty saved. You looking at an old boy that got saved. Saved. I said, bless God, I got saved. 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 I'll tell you something. I ain't never been the same. And you won't be either if you ever get saved. Heaven, such glorious beauty everywhere. Heaven, there's no other place that can compare. Heaven, God's glory fills the air. Heaven, there'll be no more pain and sorrow there. Heaven, no more sickness and death, nor despair. Heaven, the Lamb of God sits on His throne chair. Heaven is the eternal home for the saints the Lord has prepared. If you're on the road to nowhere, separation from the Holy God is a living nightmare. Your life may seem hopeless, but Jesus cares. Jesus understands, and He is aware. That's why the cross He did bear. He wants you to become His kingdom heir. Can you trust and believe in the Lord today? If yes, then pray the sinner's prayer. Father in heaven, I know I'm a sinner and have sinned against you. And my sins have separated me from you. Please forgive me for my sins. I confess with my mouth and believe with all my heart that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died on the cross of Calvary that I can be forgiven and have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. Father, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. And I ask you right now to come into my life and be my Savior and my Lord. I repent of my sins and I will live and worship you all the days of my life. 
because your word is truth. I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And right now, I am born again. I am saved and I am cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.